On this intense episode of View the Right Thing, Wes and Steve take us on a double header of not one, but two thrillers. First, a black police detective is reluctantly asked to help investigate a murder in a small racially charged town in the film that won five Academy Awards, including Best Picture, In the Heat of the Night. Next, a modest businessman on a road trip finds himself being pursued and terrified by the driver of a menacing tractor trailer in this tense, harrowing TV movie, Duel, directed by Steven Spielberg. And now, it's time for View the Right Thing. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hey, welcome back to another episode of A View the Right Thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, welcome. I'm, I'm Wes Weitzenhofer, and this is Steve Moulton. I'm Steve Moulton, here bringing you another episode of Indiana Jaws. So, I have to start doing intros now, where I say who we are. Yeah? You know why? Because that's just how shows work? Well, that, it would make, make us more professional, that's one. But more importantly, starting next episode... Yeah. There's a new co-host. A new co-host? A new co-host. I'm getting rid of your ass. Hey. Nah, we're not getting rid of Steve. We can never get rid of Steve. He's yeah. the reason that you listen to this thing. Especially not all this ass. There's a lot of it. Mm, baby. You'd, you'd need quite the meat mallet. Gross. Um, <laughs> so, starting next episode, uh, we're going to kind of alternate a thing. At least once a month, we're going to have um, our, our new co-host, Joey Hansa. Joey Hansa. She was previously heard in the Wonder Woman episode with Desiree. Cool. She will be joining me for a di- slightly different journey than the one you and I are on. Ah. Go so, on. Well, her 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 theme is going to be more like big, fun, funny, exciting, yeah. action-packed. This will be comedies and action films. Yeah. A lot of modern things. and Great big crowd pleasers. Big, but is it the yeah, same rule? She films. can't have seen it? Correct. She she can't have seen it. Cool. And there's a lot of stuff she hasn't seen apparently. Wow. So it's exciting. I'm excited to uh, to watch a movie with her. We'll we'll talk about what movie that's going to be at the end of this episode. Oh yeah. Um, Steve. Yeah, hey, buddy. It's been it feels like it's been a while. I'm doing all right. You know, it's uh, it's almost the holidays. Uh, it is. Well, I mean, it is the holidays. T- tis the season. We we've decided been, not to do holiday movies this we've year. We've been tizzing the season. Yeah, I mean, we did, what, uh, at least two huge... We did the important ones. ...episodes covering holiday movies. We covered... Home Alone. Home Alone. Gremlins. Gremlins. Uh, what's it called? The uh, one that bores me to death. The one that bores you to death. The one that takes place in uh, Rare Exports? No, Rare Exports was pretty cool. I like Rare Exports a lot. Um, it's boys? a Wonderful Life. We didn't watch It's a Wonderful Life, did we? Oh, we didn't? I thought for sure we did. I don't think we did, did we? I just always feel like... We did? We did. We did not. I'm, I feel 90% sure we did not. I feel like no matter how long ago I watched It's a Wonderful Life, it was too recently. Maybe next year we should do Die Hard. No. No, I love Die Hard. Die Hard's great, but I'm tired of all this. Die Hard is the, the best Christmas, Christmas movie. movie. Yeah. I'm okay with people being like, it is a Christmas, but everybody's like, oh, no, it's the best Christmas movie. It feels movie. that way this year. So, like, maybe next year it won't feel that way, and we can talk about. Mm. 
I would like to see... Here's the thing. Die Hard's great, people but say, it doesn't need our help. Here's the thing. People say that... Oh, we see the parents outside. People say that Die Hard's a Christmas movie, but nobody ever points and explains why it's a Christmas movie. Because it takes place at Christmas no, no, time. No, no. I think we could... That's di- all they ever say. I, and that's the thing. Maybe we should talk about it next year and really get into it and really dissect the film as a Christmas film. It's not, though. It's a crime movie that takes place at a Christmas party. Totally I disagree. doesn't make it a Christmas movie. I disagree. But I don't want to say the reasons why I disagree, because then we might as well just do an episode on Die Hard. You know why we can't do Die Hard? Why? We both watched it. Oh, yeah. We both have seen Home Alone and Yeah, Gremlins. I know. That's true. I hadn't seen Gremlins. Yes, you had. I had. That's the and, sound of me nodding. And almost all of our, our Halloween films this year were movies that we both had seen. I'd never seen Trick or Treat. You're a liar. <laughs> that was your pick. <laughs> the only movie that the only movie that you hadn't seen was uh, Return, Return to, to Sleepaway Sleep Camp. Camp. And are enough you glad about you've seen that it? movie? What? Are you glad you've seen it now? Um, glad is a relative term. No. What are we talking on, about man. tonight? Tonight, I uh, think we should talk about. It says your mic's reading. 1967's "In the Heat of the Night." Yep. Since we are in mid-December here, and we are in having some chilly nights finally out here in Southern California, we should be talking about "In the Heat of the Night." Uh, asterisk. I can never remember the exact melody of the "In the Heat of the Night" song. Or how so. to say "In the Heat of the Night." That's as close as it's going to get. Well, I didn't want to infringe on any copyrights. Yeah, you'll sound too much like around. it. Yeah. Um, and we we have a second film. Uh, from now on, Steve and I will always have a second film, and it will always be a certain director. Well, not like from now on, but for many episodes to come. I mean, like for the foreseeable for like future. 30 episodes, maybe. More than that, my friend. Wow. Because we are watching all of John Waters' movies. Yeah, yeah that'll take... No time at all. No, we are watching all of Steven Spielberg movies. Hang on. Steven Spielberg? Yes, and we're watching them in order of when they were released. We're watching every Steven Spielberg movie in order of release? Yeah. That's true. That is that is the situation. So, Steven Spielberg? Yes. Bridge of Spies? Yeah, that's way late though. That's That's like years from now. The one he did before Bridge of Spies. Cool. What did he do before Bridge of Spies? Uh, man, don't... He takes such a great big break sometimes. Um, but we're Bridge starting Spies, at the Bridge beginning. Bridge of Spies isn't even his most recent film. Yeah, that's true, huh? Yeah. But we're starting at the beginning of the Steven Spielberg cycle. The Steven Spielberg... Era... Uh, epic. Re- the repertoire? Spielberg epic. The Odyssey that we're going on, the Steven Spielberg Odyssey. Whoa. Um, Out of Steven Spielberg. As some people may know, Steven Spielberg's my favorite director. Yeah. I'm excited to... You're uh, a regular Dawson Leary. Okay. From Dawson's Creek. I think I've seen an episode of that. Well, Spielberg was his favorite director. Well, that's exciting. And Joey used to break his balls for it. Uh, well, she, she can shut her face. Not no she, more, she can't. Her. Because it's stuck to Jamie Foxx. Oh! Is that, um, is that a thing? That's yeah, they're, they're a thing. They're an item. I never knew that. Katie Holmes and Jamie Foxx. Well, it's new. It's a new thing. The Fox and the Holmes. Maybe by the time this comes out, they won't be anymore. I don't know. Oh, come on. Wish them well. Of course. What are we talking about tonight? We're talking about In the Heat of the Night and Steven Spielberg's first 
major directorial debut. His first fe- his first feature. I mean, he did he did TV shows and he did, um, you know, like shorts and stuff on his yeah. own. You know, like people would will point back to like uh, Amblin or oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, was it Firelight? People will point to Firelight, but cool. that's like when he was a kid. Yeah, doesn't Do- count. Doesn't really count. No. We're talking about what did you direct that as a professional that the world got to see. I'm excited to talk about Duel. 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 But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, have you been to the old theater recently? Uh, I'm about to be at the old theater. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what was the uh, last thing I saw in theater? Oh, was The Disaster Artist. I haven't seen it yet. I loved yeah. it. I'm in a it's very conflicted reviews. position. Why? Without spoiling anything. Yeah. I kind of wish I lived in a room... In a, wor- in a room in a world where the room never existed. Oh yeah, yeah. But also, the disaster artist never ended. I loved it so much. It was such yeah. a weird, fun, funny movie to watch. It's interesting because I, I wonder what people must think having not seen the room. Right. Um, I'm sure. I, from what I understand, it's still like a very the disaster artist is still a very good film. Yeah. And very funny and very enjoyable. But there's like some part of me that's kind of like it seems almost like a shame because. There's there's something that people who, only people who have seen the room are going to get out of out of the, the disaster artist. Sort of. Can I tell you this? Uh, don't if it, does, if it doesn't spoil anything. It's not a spoiler at all. Okay. Two friends of mine have seen the disaster artist completely separately. Yeah. Neither of them have seen the room. Yeah. They both agree disaster artist is an absolutely great movie, even if you haven't seen the room. No, no, no. I believe that. I'm just yeah. saying. I'm not saying that they wouldn't think that. I've heard that it's very good. I'm saying there's another element that people, only people who've seen The Room Like if you've understand. tortured yourself by making yeah. yourself sit through The Room, you appreciate Disaster Artist more. Yeah, I think, well, I'm, I don't even know if it's that you appreciate it more. I think, I think it just opens different doors for you that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. That's, yeah. my, that's my guess. All right. I haven't seen Disaster Artist, so I don't know. It's fun, man. I have seen The Room multiple times, though, in the theater. I've seen it 1.25 times. I own it. Do you? I do. Well, oh, it was actually it was bought for me as a gift. Yeah. But I would have bought it. I would have bought it anyways. I, I, I think it's a fun film. I think um, even though it's unintentional, I think the movie's ahead of its time in some ways. Ahead of its time? Yeah. I um, there's, there's a lot to actually really like about that and its ambition. Yeah. Um, but it's so bad. How is it ahead of its time? We could talk about that another time. All right. Because I haven't seen the Disaster Artist, I want to. I want to. It's, it's so fun. Delve I, too I much loved into it so much. Um, I have not seen anything in forever. Nothing. You haven't seen three billboards. I have not seen. Three, I really want to see three billboards. What I about see, Lady Bird? I have not seen Lady Bird. I really want to see Lady Bird. What about I really Murder on the Orient Star Express? Wars. Nope, I haven't seen Murder. I saw that. It's lower on my list because it's. It, yeah, I've, I've heard not great things. The problem. I, it's too bad. I was hoping it would be like at least a good movie, if not like I knew it wasn't going to be anything special. Yeah, because it's a, a remake and it's a very classic piece of literature. Yeah. Um, I was hoping it would just at least be good quality filmmaking. It is would, very beautifully made. Well, I, I mean, give and, it that and performed it's... and stuff. I mean, if well, you, then you can't say the writing's bad because right. So it just sounds like. 
it just wasn't anything new for you. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's just like I got to the end of it. I should also point out, 20 minutes into the movie, mm-hmm. an older couple came in to a very empty theater. Yeah. Sat, in guess front of where? You. Right in front of you. Right behind me. Oh, behind you and talked. Talked a lot. Did you tell them to be quiet? I went, shh, several times. Because that's all I do. I do a very forceful shh. Yeah. And it usually gets the message. Worked in Force Awakens. They couldn't hear you. They were too old. You may be right. Disappeared from the theater. They, they sat down for 10 minutes. Talked. Crunkled. Crinkled a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. For 10 minutes. Left the theater. Yeah. Came back in 40 minutes. <laughs> watched 20 more minutes of the movie. And left early. And... <sighs> I, it, it, I just who 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 spends their evening like that? Theater etiquette. We keep talking about doing a insane theater, a theater etiquette episode. And these were older folks. They had to be in their fifties or something, based on the raspiness of voice. And the, I almost don't even want to go see movies in the theater anymore. And I'm, I'm like, that's my church, man. I love seeing movies in the theater, and I'll put up with a whole lot of mess. Like when I saw Thor two, man, there was probably like ten. Teenagers sitting right behind me who just thought they had the mystery science theater the whole way through it. But you know what? They were at least funny. They were cracking yeah. good jokes. You don't mind going to some of those theaters. Like the one we went and saw, the um, Desmond Dawes movie. Oh, the $3 theater. Hacksaw Ridge, yeah. We, yeah. we saw that together. And you don't mind seeing movies there. But I don't uh, mind seeing I'm movies there at all. There is a, a, a dollar theater... Same company. A do- one dollar? Down the, yeah, down, well, on Tuesdays, it's a dollar, I think. Wow. Uh, down the street from here. It's, I mean, it's, it's like three minutes away. Drive. That's, in, that's incredible. It's very close. I went and saw John Wick 2 there. J-Dub 2. And it is leaps and bounds better than that theater that you and I went to for Hacksaw Ridge. I believe it. I think it's just a slightly more upscale clientele in this, this area. Yeah. So I think, oh, yeah. The neighborhood where our theater is, I mean, that place... People treat that theater like not just their living room, like their basement rumpus room. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But sometimes I luck out and I wind up in a theater with hardly anybody there and I can actually enjoy a movie. I'd say it's like 75% good movie watching experiences. Have you, uh, have you seen any good trailers lately? Well, I've seen the trailer for Avengers Infinity War and I've, I've not been, seen it. I've been trying to block it. it from my memory because it shows a lot and it makes me sad. Yeah, I think you think um, they, the trailers show everything now. I suspect in this case, in Avengers... Now, I haven't seen it, and I refuse to watch it. Yeah, man, it shows so much. Um, but that's not, that's not because so much I'm worried that they're going to show too much, that I, I only want to see that stuff on the big screen at this point. Yeah. It's a movie I'm already hyped for. Like, they released a teaser for the trailer yeah. the day before, and it was all about fans watching the trailers for the first time and, oh, wow. and recording... Uh, their their reactions. Oh, that's it was cool. all like reaction videos. So they like cold videos from the fans. Yeah. And I was like, I don't need any other trailer to make me want to see Avengers now. Exactly. This is all I needed was people going, we are a community of people who love these films. We're really excited for this movie. We know it's coming out. This is the date. That's all I need to know, yeah. baby. Uh, but um, if I am going to see it, it better be on a big screen. Not right. on my computer, not on my phone. I sort of saw the newest Star Wars trailer on a big screen. I still have not seen the Star Wars trailer. You want to know what I did? No. I yes. went and revisited Path of the Jedi. Oh, cool. And they, and had, so a new, they had a new thing there? They put Yeah, so they, they wove the newest trailer into the Path of the Jedi yeah. montage. Well, I'm glad I didn't see that because I would have uh, been mad. I would have been like, nope. 
See, but I'm okay with seeing it at Path of the Jedi because it's on a great big beautiful screen. Except that Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill and Ryan Johnson both have said, do not watch the trailer. Wow, really? Yep, they said they, it gives away something important. I can see that being the case. Yeah. I, another one I'm trying to block from memory. I, I've, I've had people tell me that they wish they hadn't watched it. Yeah. Um, as soon as they and they said this like months and months ago, they were like, "Do not trust Disney uh, marketing on this. They're going to spoil something." Whoa! They knew. They knew way back then. You're telling me they announced it, but they, neither of them text, texted me to let me know that. I know. Can you believe it? And it's pretty, funny pretty too sad. because like pretty I saw about this. somebody tweeted at uh, Ryan Johnson and said. I thought, because, you know, when the trailer came out, I think he's sort of, like, contractually obligated to be like, hey, this thing's out. Yeah. And people were like, I thought you said don't watch it. And he's like, I'm really conflicted about it because <laughs> I'm excited for the movie and I want people to see stuff, but at the same time, it gives things away. Yep. So, I uh, I have avoided it. It did come on during a movie and I closed my eyes and ears and sang to myself during yeah. the trailer. And then somebody let me know that I was being annoying and the trailer was over. Fair enough. That's not actually what happened. This one just let me know. Oh, did Walt's here. Walt let you know? In case the users want to know. Walt yeah. is here. Um, Let's view the right thing, hound dog. Walt dog's knee. I'll tell you a trailer I did watch. Yeah? Rampage. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, Where did I see that? Keep talking. It doesn't look good. Oh, Justice League. But it looks like... Uh, it's going to be fun. It looks like... It looks exactly what a video game movie based on that. Like... It looks like what it should be. Why are you making the face? What if Rampage turns out to be the first good video game movie? I could. It, well, I don't think it's going to be good. I think it'll be fun. You know, there's a difference between good and fun. True, but so far, it doesn't. Video look, game movies have been neither. Yeah, uh, it doesn't look good, but yeah. it does look like it'll be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm I'm glad that they got all three of the the critters in the in the trailer. I am too. Now it's the guy who played Rami in Super Troopers. He's the Ram. What? And then uh, what are you talking about? Paige Davis from uh, Switch Trading Spaces. She's the Paige, right? What are you talking about? Rampage. Oh. It's about uh, Jay Chandrasekhar, plays Rami in Super Troopers. And he's like, hey, I'm still a Vermont State Trooper. And then Paige from Trading Spaces is like, I'm Paige. What are we doing? And he's like, Ram, Paige. And then they destroy a city. Ramathorn. Arcot Ramathorn, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rami. No, stop it. Although, uh, I can't wait for Super Troopers 2. I can't either, but... April is so far away. You want to you wanna hear something? Yeah. We've been waiting for like I 17 know, years. I know, but now that we know there's a date, it's like, <laughs> ah, it feels so far away. Yeah, and, it's going to be exciting. I mean, it could just be hype from the filmmakers, but the rumor is yeah. it is better than the first one. Wow. Which would be really hard to do, and... It has connections to the other films in their universe, including the Slime and Salmon, which what? has me excited. What about Dukes of Hazard? Well, that's not in their same universe. I don't yeah, think. that's true. But they directed it. Well, Jay Jay Chandrasekhar and put and he put all the guys yeah. from Super Troopers in it. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. Dukes of Hazard was an enjoyable film. It had <laughs> great muscle car action and great classic rock. I don't feel one way or the other about and it. And it's other, that those are the nicest things I could say. Okay. Um, uh, there was another trailer that I was trying to Did think. you see Justice League while we're talking about trailers and what we've seen in the theaters? I didn't see Justice League, now. I saw Justice League. It's so and I, I think far I, down my list. I think I figured out what DC is getting wrong that Marvel gets I right. I know exactly what DC is getting wrong, but go ahead. So I'm watching it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, wow. 
huh. I mean, I was enjoying the movie. It's fun and all. And yeah. anytime Gal Gadot is on sta- screen, I'm like, whatever to the rest of this movie. Thank God she's on screen. That's great. She's a wonderful, beautiful person. And she's doing good with her fame. But it occurred to me late in the movie, Marvel takes... Marvel? DC? No, Marvel yeah. takes comic book heroes yeah. and turns them into cinematic movies about comic book heroes. Uh-huh. DC, whether they know they're doing it or not, mm-hmm. seems to be taking comic book heroes, trying to make them look like they're pulled out of a video game, and then turning them into a movie. I don't think that's really the problem. I mean, I, I, I'm I not saying they, I don't think they even know that they're doing I'm it. Not, I'm not saying you're wrong. Uh, I don't know that that's actually the issue. I think that's the a issue big is, part of it. I think the biggest piece of the issue is writing. I think that they saw Avengers. Yeah. And saw dollar signs. Yeah. And they don't want to put the work in. Maybe. And, um, you know, they they had just finished Christopher Nolan's Batman movies. And then they're like, all right, we're doing this whole new thing. And you it's know? like... Yeah, heck, I mean, what? Uh, Dark Knight Rises was 2012. And then Justice Le- or uh, Batman Superman was what? 2014? 15? Yeah. Was so... Yeah. Or no, Man of Steel was like pretty close after Dark Knight Rises. Like Man of Steel was very close. Well, the yeah. trailer for Man of Steel was in the was attached to Dark Knight Rises. Oh my God, that's right. So, twenty thirteen. I mean, you can't you can't connect those movies that way and then be like they're not connected. Right. Um. So I, I I think they just didn't want. I mean, that's what Marvel did correct, right? Right. They put they gave Ant Man his own movie first. They gave you know, Black Panther was not in Civil War very much. Right. I mean, he may have appeared first there, but he's getting his own movie before. He's really involved with the Avengers, right? Um, you know they they made multiple Iron, you know, three Iron Man movies, and three Captain America. I mean, it just they they put the work in, and right. uh, I hear you again. Spider Man, Spider Man's hardly in Civil War, right? You know, Pretty and then they gave him his own thing, and they scenes. did that so they could bypass doing an origin story because nobody wanted to see Spider Man origin story again. Yet again, so it would be uh, it would be uh, what the third one uh, in this millennium. I also think that the other issue that they have is um, goes from a writing perspective in quality, and they have people who don't aren't real fans of the comic books writing uh. the stories, and people who like they, it's like they don't understand the mythos behind superheroes. Hmm. You know, like. Su- that Man of Steel movie, like that's not Superman at all. And Batman versus Superman, Batman is just like he—it's the most un-Batman he's ever felt. I think in in film. You think so? Uh, he's up there with the Adam West Batman, I think. How dare you, Wes? <laughs> yeah. Your name is West Weitzenhofer. How could you possibly besmirch my reputation like that? That, yeah. that went a little Tom Brokaw. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm Steve Moulton. I am not. By any means, a professional impressionist. Nope. Um, yeah. So that I, I I think those are the the two main problems with DC. They just don't they don't understand the the books well enough, the mm. characters well enough. Um, I mean, a big piece of why people want to see Superman movies is because he's a Boy Scout. That's right. One of the defining characteristics of Superman. Right. And the moment you make in this moody guy who hates human beings. Yeah. It's kind of. 
I don't know. It's disappointing. Batman like gleefully just killing people left and right just feels a little wrong too. A little, a little un-Batman-ish. Yeah. I mean, it's not that Batman can't kill people. I mean, look, I I I have heard some people make this argument that like Batman doesn't ever have a gun, but if you go back and look at old Batman comics, he has a freaking gun. Yeah. If and Batman can't kill people, but like I went back and read the old Detective Comics, yeah. and I was like, I'm gonna start at the beginning, Detective Comics, and start reading those old ones. I didn't go too far. Killed Kennedy. Okay, that's <laughs> um, in like the second or third story. He there's like these people who've been kind of mutated, and rather than like try to find a solution for them, he uh, he he hangs a noose from his um, from his bat wing, essentially his bat plane. And catches the dude in the neck and just hangs him. And there's a shot of the Batwing flying across the horizon with just like a dead body hanging from a rope from the bottom of it. I mean, it's it's not Good like grief. It's not like Batman hasn't killed people or hasn't wielded a gun. Right. But there is something about like what we've come to understand Batman to be yeah. and modern Batman, especially, and even I think the old Batman and that. Um, it's not a gleeful thing for him. Yeah. It's not something he, he gets joy or a reward out of. Yeah. And in... Yeah, he's not the comedian. Ha <laughs> Exactly. Actually, that's a really good point. Get it? Yeah. I get that. No, that's, a, that's actually a really good point because the comedian is sort of supposed to be kind of Batman-esque, right? Like, he's, he's, he's supposed to be this kind of... Like, yeah, he's the comedian, but he's also this, like, dark, imposing thing that, like, you fear. Yeah. Because he's so brutal. Um, Batman's not supposed to go that that far. I don't, I don't feel like branding people specifically so they get killed in jail by other prisoners. That was pretty messed up. That's screwed up. <laughs> that's that's not very Batman like. That was pretty pretty right. messed I'm a, up. I'm a, I've got a lot more I could say about DC in there. Yeah, I, I, I will. Dear DC, me, we want you. We want better. We want good movies about these guys. Can we actually go for it? Say one more thing. Just yes, make, please. Just make more Wonder Woman movies. Just. I'm down for that. Every every Wonder Woman movie have it take place like roughly ten years later, do different decades, different Whoa. different styles and time periods. Oh, so you're talking let's take it all the way back and then go forties Wonder Woman, fifties Wonder Woman, right? Sixties Wonder Woman. Wow. Yeah, like how cool would that be to like see her progress through the ages? That'd be pretty cool. I think it'd be I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um that's what I'd like to see anyways. Wonder Woman. Um, yeah, get rid of Brett Ratner. It sounds like they might have. Well, they have to. Yeah. Gal Gadot's not coming back if, if they don't. Whoa. So, you know. Wowzers. Oh, I All right. Phone call. All right. Let's, uh, uh, let's motor. Oh, oh, there's one other trailer. Out. There's one other trailer. I Which other you. trailer? Uh, there's a Spider-Man trailer. There is an animated Spider-Man film hitting theaters next year. Say what? Starring Miles Morales. What? It's called Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Holy crap. And there's a teaser trailer for it, and I watched it, and I was like, A, the animation looked really cool. Yeah? The, like, I don't want to say the camera angles and stuff, but the composition is really, really interesting. Awesome. Um, And uh, they tease, you know, obviously more than just Miles being Spider-Man. If anybody's read the Spider-Verse comics... uh, Storyline. Yeah. They know how cool it is. Now. Yes, sir. Oh, you want to talk about the trailer that I sent you? No. <laughs> is it true Yeah. that this Miles Morales Spider-Man movie, what's it called? Into the Spider-Verse? Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse. 
Is it true that we're finally getting what we've been wanting for about 15 to 20 years now? Spider-Man versus Eight-Legged Freaks? No. <laughs> That's not, they're not part of the Spider-Verse. Oh, if only. You know, you know who... All the Spider-Men are in Spider-Verse. All of them? Spider-Buggy, uh, Tobey Maguire, uh, um, Andrew Garfield. They're part of the Spider-Verse. And when they did that storyline in the comic, there's references to them. If you don't see them, they at least talk about them. Even the Japanese uh, Supaitaban. Supaitaban? Supaitaban. That's pretty kick-ass. Supaitaban. Yep. He has the big flying robot and stuff. He does. The big flying robot plays an integral part in the, in the comic book story. That's pretty kick-ass. I get the feeling that this, this is not going to actually follow the comic book storyline. I think it's going to be just like, that's an inspiration behind it. But and that's okay. Yeah, that's totally fine. I'm, I'm very excited about it. There's another new Marvel cartoon coming out. Um, it's going to be a Secret War uh, like feature-length cartoon, I think. Yeah. I don't know if it's going straight to theater. I feel like you're lying. No, this is true. I, uh, I saw an article it. the other day, and it was something about um, um, Haley Atwell is going to do Peggy Carter's voice in it. Cool. And I won't tell you what happened in the clip that I saw, yeah. because it spoils a lot. But yeah. I was looking at it, and I was like, I could watch this whole cartoon. Well, I think I was, I was wondering, when I saw this trailer and the fact that it's coming out in theaters, I was like... Wondering if this is their way of still kind of giving... Because there's a lot of fans who want a Miles Morales movie. Yeah. But let's face it, there is no Miles... Until they get Peter correct yeah. for a while, yeah. um, there's no Miles Morales movie coming out. No. Think. I'd be real surprised. Interesting. All it's right. Sad. Makes me sad. Whether there's no Miles Morales movie? Yeah. I'm all right with it. I, I want to see Peter be done correctly, you know? I want to yeah, see Peter too. have his adventures for a while, and then you can... You didn't like when he went goth in Spider-Man 3 and had a jazz dance? No, no he did, like, the... He did Saturday Night Fever, right? Oh, I thought it was set to, like, jazz. I can't remember. Disco. Well, he does, he does the Saturday Night Fever moves in it. Yeah, that's for sure. It's disappointing. <laughs> did you want to talk about the Midnight Sun trailer, or no? Slinging a web. No? <laughs> Ah, take the lead. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good on that one. I'm, I'm All right. Well, I'll, I'll just I'll just brush over it real quick. Yeah. Viewsters, you know I like to have a good laugh, and one of my favorite fallback jokes is the classic <laughs> and beloved Marvel Comics character Midnight Sun. You might know him. He's a purple android. He's got weird discs on his hands and feet that allow him to skate around in outer space. He also wears a gray cape and a gray fedora in space. Um, there is a movie coming out called Midnight Sun. It has absolutely nothing to do with that guy. And that's about all I'm going to say about it. So, so Steve, for years, has like... Decades, sir. Well, I mean, I've only known you for years. Yeah. Um, pretty much as long as I've known Steve, has brought up Midnight Sun just kind of out of nowhere. And we're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he's like, when are we going to get the Midnight Sun movie? You've heard it on the podcast before. When are we going to get the Midnight Sun movie? I'd say five times an episode. Um... And uh, when I saw that Bella Thorne has a new movie coming out <laughs> called Midnight Sun, I immediately texted Steve and was like, it's finally happening. <laughs> and I loved every minute of that text. Yeah. I thought about, like, I imagined you in your home crafting the text. Yeah. And the smile on your face. Oh, I had a big smile on my and face. And I watched it and I was like, you got me, Wes. You got me. You Midnight Sunned me. I Midnight Sunned you. Oh, boy. All right, so you want to talk about In the Heat of the Night? Okay. What's this movie about? It's about racism. 
It's about racism. It's about uh, Southern justice. It's about uh, murder. It's about investigation. It's about, uh, gosh, those five things. Yeah. Where does it begin? It begins with a cop whose name I've already forgotten. Officer Sam Sam Wood. Wood. I almost called him Sam Good. Sam Wood. Officer Sam Wood, played by Warren Oates. Is, uh, just I wish he were. What if Holland Oates played the the one character? He's out driving in the middle of the night. Well, really, it starts with him trying to get a piece of pie at a diner. No pie. He goes out driving in the middle of the night, sees a naked girl hanging out in a window with the lights on, and then turns a corner in his squad car and finds a dead body. You know what's interesting about the naked girl, Dolores? Yeah. Um, I thought the most like interesting thing visually about her was not when she was naked. Okay. It was her face and sort of that smile she had on her face. The smile she had. She on just her had face. this like really devious, mischievous grin, and uh, and okay. there's and there's a scene where they talk to her and um, and she should be upset. Yeah. And the focus pulls away to the other actors in the room, but if you watch her, she is having fun. Yeah. In the scene. Um, and it's telling for her character, too. Yeah. Because she knows she's about to get away with some bull. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just thought hey, she's interesting. Right, yeah. You know, she's an important part of the story, as we'll come to find out. Yeah. Uh, with her clothes on, even. Um, so Warren Oates is looking at her through her window as she drinks a cold soda on a hot Mississippi night, right? Pepsi-Cola. Was it Pepsi-Cola? Yeah. And... Uh, you know, she glances out the window. She sees him looking. She doesn't offer him a Pepsi. No. Eusters are getting an insight into what I look at when there's stuff on screen. Well, you know. It's like a naked woman. I'm like, yeah, she's drinking a Pepsi Cola. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and salute the people who made In the Heat of the Night back there in 1967. With all their different product placement? The product placement. But also, they had a naked woman on screen. Strategically placed in the window frame. Right. They they yeah. don't show full frontal nudity, no. right? There's you see the window frame going across her chest. Yeah. So she's covered there. You don't really see below the waist at all. So she's covered there. The bottom of the frame is there, yeah. Yeah, so it's like you're basically seeing a woman who she might be wearing a bikini for all we know. And she comes closer to the window and the camera angle changes and Correct. they still and they still keep her yeah. covered. And I salute yeah. them for that yeah. because there are so many movies out there where they'll show a girl naked and then later reveal that the character is supposed to be 16 or 17 right, years yeah, old. And, and this girl was supposed to be 16 years right. old. So they kept her covered. And I appreciate that. Especially yeah. for the 60s. Now then again, that was the, you know, 67. Movies went real crazy in the 70s. And that's when a lot of the real nudity really started. Right. But uh, so good for them. I salute you guys. I'll shout it backwards 40 years. Um, Warren Oates, you know, finds out about the murder. Other cops come down to the crime scene where they found this dead body. Who's his commanding officer? The chief of police. Mm-hmm. Who is he? The, you mean the actor? Rod Steiger? Rod Steiger. On the waterfront. Yeah. Mars Attacks. And so much more. <laughs> is that your Mars Attacks? No, that's my... No, that, eh, 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 that's Mars Attacks. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, no, that was my, um, my chief of police from this movie... Oh, yeah, he was constantly chewing gum. Went through 263 packs of gum. Good night, Irene. Packs, not just pieces? Packs. Packs. That's what I understand. Holy crud. Norman Jewison, the director, wanted him to uh, 
to do this and he was like resistant but then eventually Paxico. found it to be a cool like affectation for the character wow see it's funny because you hear a lot people tell actors all the time like don't be chewing gum don't be chewing yeah. gum don't be chewing gum here we have in the heat of the night Rod Steiger chewing gum in almost every scene well I mean it, it's it's great because um, you have this character who does this super super annoying thing uh-huh that if he was any deputy, would yeah. be told to knock it off and spit his gum out. But nobody can say anything to him. There's, there's um, a real he's Chief Gillespie. Like, well, there's a real de- yeah, Chief Gillespie. Uh, he, there's a real definition of power in the yeah. film. The townspeople respect his power. His deputies respect his power, and even to a great extent, um, Sidney Poitier's character, um, uh, Virgil, yeah, uh, respects his power. Um, For sure, and so to ha- to give him, and, and there are some likable things about this character. Like he is trying to do the right thing; he does it the wrong way a lot, a lot. Um, and he is, you know, he's racist. He's not super like super racist. Oh, uh, he's not. He's not. But he he's not crazy racist like the other people in the town, right? Like he wouldn't he wouldn't go out of his way to kill Virgil, right? Really. But he's very much just like know your place. And that's still very wrong. It's very racist. I'm not saying he's not racist. Yeah. Um, but there are other redeeming things in the and the two characters do find some common ground late in the film with each other. Yeah. And so I think it was nice that they found sort of an, an innocuous annoyance about this guy to kind of like delineate like, yeah, he's got some annoying things, but he's also the seat of power right. and he does have some likable things about him too. You know what other thing you had about him that I didn't like? What's that? I don't think he offered anybody else a piece of gum. No, no, I don't think he did either. That whole damn time. I don't think he did either. So the chief tells Officer Wood, you know, cruise around town. It's late at night. It's 2.30 or something in the morning. You start cruising around town looking for who committed this murder. And Warren Oates, uh, in his search, Warren Oates, Officer Wood, in his search, uh, wanders into the train station where he finds Sidney Poitier Mm -hmm. waiting for a train, as you do at a train station. And he immediately pulls his gun on him and arrests him. Yeah, and there's a, well, there's a moment too when uh, when he, uh, Sidney Poitier reaches for his coat. Yeah, I I assume to show his badge because he's a police officer. Yeah, um, and uh, and the the wood you know gestures like he's going to shoot him if he does it. Yeah, uh, and so he he backs off and he tells him that he has to be quiet the whole time or he's going to let him have it. Yeah, so like. Uh, Virgil can't really do anything. He can't say anything. Can't ever really say I'm a cop. Um, it was a moment that, like, really early on in the film, where I was like, "This is 100% still relevant today." Yeah, I was so surprised by that. Um, this movie is 50 years old. Yeah, it is 50. It's I was thinking 40. It's 50. 50 years old this year. Holy shnikes. 50 years old, and it is still relevant how they treated him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. It's the, the, the consideration that a black person has to go through when a cop, A, confronts them, and B, confronts them with a gun drawn. Yeah. I mean, it's different than anybody else, and the fact that that hasn't changed in 50 years is in, just insane. Absolutely insane. Insane. I'm sorry. I That's okay. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bummer of a thing, but it needs to be discussed. The way they're supposed to be in Mississippi, right? Mississippi, Sparta, Mississippi. Yeah. They shot it in a place called Sparta, Illinois. 
Oh, well, then uh, that ruined the movie. No, I'm yeah. kidding. I joke. Uh, Sparta. Well, so Sidney Portier and Harry Belafonte are friends. And oh, yeah? they did a thing, and they got attacked in the South. Uh, I can't remember where. Um, but they were attacked by KKK and were almost killed. Whoa. So Portier didn't want to shoot the movie in the true South. Wow. So they shot it in Illinois, Sparta, Illinois. Although good to know the the plantation scenes are in Tennessee. Oh, because I mean, right. I don't think there's really cotton plantations in Illinois. Not that I know of, but I wasn't around back then, <laughs> fifty years ago. What? I know it's hard to believe. Um, so Wood gets uh, Sidney Poitier's character all the way back to the police station. Yep. And, uh, you know, uh, fortunately, Chief Steiger is like, did you ask this guy any questions before you just arrested him and brought him in here? And he's like, well, no, I didn't. And then something's going on, and, uh, and Poitier's like, well, oh, yeah, Wood throws his money on the table. Poitier's money on the table. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, look how much money he's carrying around with him. <laughs> Clearly, he killed that guy and took all the money in his wallet. Yeah, he had, like, over $100 on him. Yeah, and so then... Uh, uh, Chief Gillespie is like, hey, what do you do for a living that pays you that much money a week? And he goes, I'm a police detective in Philadelphia. Dragnet theme. And so uh, <laughs> that, that shuts up Chief Gillespie quite suitably for a moment or two. Because now he's sitting there going, oh crud, we got another fellow policeman here. And granted, I'm a racist jerk. And he is a black guy from a completely different state. But he is a man of the badge. And so, fortunately, that gives Chief Gillespie pause, makes him reconsider the situation. Because, you know, we mentioned Southern justice earlier. Yeah. The concept of Southern justice is very unfortunate, but it's the idea of just, a crime was committed, let's capture somebody and punish whoever we capture, and as soon as we capture them, look for absolutely anything that might vaguely point to them being guilty, and then convict them, rather than... Sure, we've got this guy, but he might not be the right guy, so we do need to keep looking for other actual uh, right. uh, uh, criminals who committed the actual thing. And unfortunately, that happened a whole, whole, whole lot. Pretty much still does. West Memphis 3, not to mention several other things. And so, Central um, Park 5. Central Park 5. Well, that's Northern Justice. Uh, but, uh, what now? I said, well, that's Northern Justice. But I mean, the, the yeah, same the idea. The same exact concept. The same... The same uh, um, mentality right. is what led to the, those teenagers being taken in the middle of the night yep. and coerced into confessions that uh, of things that didn't happen. Yep. So, yet another thing we're still kind of dealing with a little bit right here in good old USA. Um, Chief Gillespie calls to Philadelphia, gets uh, Detective Tibbs. Uh, commanding officer, I'm assuming a sergeant or another chief, on the phone, and then he's like, yeah, he wants to talk to you. Tibbs, Sidney Poitier's character, gets on the phone, and he's like, what? Heck no, I'm like trying to get on a train to get back to Philadelphia. And then he says something along the lines of like, well, I don't think they're going to want my help. And so his chief says, you stay there, and you help those guys really solve this murder. Right. And Tibbs does it. And every time they catch a new suspect, you know, you want, you want it to be over with. And Tibbs wants it to be over with because he just wants to get the right guy and get home. But every time they meet a new suspect, 
He always finds something to prove that that guy is actually innocent and they need to keep looking. Now, they do solve this case in, what, three, maybe four days? Yeah, They roughly. solve it very quickly. <clears throat> but, um, but it's a, you know, it's a fun, it's a fun little whodunit. Uh, uh, it's definitely a, a social commentary kind of movie. Uh, Tibbs gets chased by four white guy jerks. Um, that's an interesting scene because as they have him surrounded, one's holding a shovel, one's holding a chain. One guy is holding like a weird little metal pipe. <coughs> Sorry, I had a cough. I took it's all right, my man. It's all right. One guy's holding a weird little metal pipe. Tibbs picks up a really big metal pipe. Yeah. The other guys all keep their weapons, but the guy mm-hmm. with the small pipe abandons his weapon. And I don't understand that at all. Right. But then just as they're about to attack, who shows up? Chief Gillespie. And he proceeds to smack the hell out of those guys. Right. Those armed men, because he's the chief. And they respect him. Mm-hmm. They're still bad guys. They continue to be bad guys. But he keeps one hand in his pocket and smacks the hell out of one dude and then gut punches another guy and, and, and they go running off. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a tense moment. It's a tense moment. Uh, well, and those guys end up being a, a key to how they find the real killer. Right. I mean, not, not how they find them, but they end up in the same, same place at the same time. Very true. Because they're friends with Chris Pine's character. Not Chris Pine. Now, not the real Chris Pine. But there's a character, Mr. Purdy, mm-hmm. who, I'm telling you, I, I, I looked up the actor, I believe his last name was Patterson, but he looks like he could very easily be like Chris Pine's dad or uncle. It's pretty wild. It's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Should we take it all the way to the end, or should we move on to Duel? I'm, no, we, we can talk about it a little bit more. I mean, there's, there's a lot of like really interesting things about the movie. There definitely um, is. You know, uh, I'm trying to remember if it was the... Oscar, if it was a different award that they oh. got for this, but like so before the movie was being made, um, Norman Check Jewison awards. was on a ski trip in I think Colorado, and he um, got in an accident and broke his leg. Oh my gosh! And so he ended up in the hospital. And while he was in the hospital waiting area, um, Robert Kennedy was there, who, as we know, is a civil rights Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, I guess his kid was was also in an accident, and so they were there for his kid. Oh. And they began talking about what Jewison was up to, and he was tell, talking about how he was going to do this movie. And um, Continue. I'm looking and, for the uh, awards trivia on this. And Kennedy said, you know, Jewison said that, like, you know, was a little bit nervous about it because of the, the content. Yeah. And Kennedy said, you know, um, I mean, you know it's going to be great. It's all about timing. Ah. And... I don't remember if it was the Oscar or if it was what other what the other award would have been, but uh, when Jewison went up to accept the award, Kennedy was the one who handed it to him. When he handed it to him, he said, "See, I told you, it's all about timing." Whoa! Which is really kind of a neat, a neat thing. I'll say. And then, unfortunately, Robert Kennedy was killed in '68, I think. Uh, I don't remember the year. Oh God! Um, all right, so I found the awards. Uh, Academy Awards won Best Picture. Best Actor in a Leading Role for Rod Steiger. Uh-huh. Wait, no, that's nomination in a Leading no, Role. No, this right? is one. For Academy Award? Okay. Yeah. Uh, best Writing Screenplay for Sterling Siliphant. Best Sound, no name given. And Best Film Editing, good old Hal Ashby. Nominated Best Director, Best Effects, Sound Effects. Golden Globes. 
Best actor in a drama, Sidney Poitier. Oh, nominated. Rod Steiger won the Golden Globe. Poitier was nominated for the Golden Globe. Right. I feel like I'm getting hoarse. <clears throat> oh, yeah? <clears throat> I've gone Stephen Toast. Have you been watching Toast? Toast? Toast. Toast of London with Matthew Barry. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Three very short seasons currently on Netflix. Completely absurd. Absolutely hilarious. Okay. It's a good, uh, it's a good lunch break movie. I didn't um, show. I made, I made a couple of notes for some of the dialogue in the film. I want to hear those notes. Uh, one of them was, uh, obviously they call me Mr. Tibbs. Yes. Um, I, I had never seen this movie before. So I had seen that clip, but I had never seen the line that preceded it. And you didn't know it was in the heat of the no, Tibbs. I, I knew it was in the heat of the night. I, okay. didn't, I didn't know what um, Rod Steiger said to him before it. Gotcha. Um, which can't be repeated on this podcast. Um, well, he says, like, what do they call you in Philadelphia? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, he, he drops the N-bomb right, right. before that. Um, which is what which is what boils his blood. Right. Um, and, and why he delivers it so commandingly. Um, it's a, it's, it, it changed how I... Being able to actually see that in context better right. um, changed how I felt about the line and how I saw the line. So, I like that. Yeah, um, Mr. Tibbs. That's a that's that's a that's a legendary moment right there. The other one is, um, he at the end near the end of the film he goes to the place where the girls going to get the abortion. Oh, that's right. And he and he tells <laughs> he's sort of intimidating. Uh, Virgil's intimidating the black woman who runs the place. Yeah, and uh, he threatens her with jail, and he says. White time in jail and colored time in jail. The worst kind of time you can do is colored time. Yeah. I was like, wow, what a line. What was a, a line. Yeah, that was a doozy. And it, it was it, great. It, it convinced her, you know? Yeah. She knew. Because, I mean, here she was. She was kind of, <clears throat> you know, living a, a bit of a high life. Like, what does she say? She's like, you know, she's like, I've grown accustomed to a certain way of life. Right. Like, promise you're not going to try to take that away from me, you know? Right. And he says, like, I wouldn't try to take it away from you. Uh, who, hey, you know who else is in this movie? Herschel. Herschel from The Walking, Walking Dead. Dead. Scott Wilson, Scott ladies Wilson. and gentlemen. Yeah. A very young, uh, spry Scott Wilson. I always kind of trip out when I see actors that I've only known as sort of yeah. grandpa age than getting to be very young. It always throws me for a loop. Well, there's something interesting about his character in connection with Virgil and that, um... One, they're both wrongly convicted or wrongly accused and put in jail yeah. for the same crime. Um, two, uh, people look down on uh, what, what's, uh, Harvey. what's his, Harvey. Harvey he, Oberst. People in the town, like they gossip about him. They look down on him. He's sort of seen like a loser. Yeah. Um, and, and they look down on Virgil in kind of a similar way uh, as if they're better than. Yeah. Like he's beneath them. And I love that because that's how Virgil solves this thing. Is right. like he talks to and and sort of bonds with with Harvey. Yeah. And that's how he's able to, to figure this out. It's it's you know, kinda of goes back to the idea of, you know, working together and uh, coming from a place of understanding and not judging people and, and whatnot. But yeah. I I like that. There's one other actor in the movie that I really liked and his name was Larry Gates played Endicott, the plantation owner, the cotton. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, 
he really stood out to me. He was really good. Um, I thought his... Um, when you first meet him, you almost think he may be a good guy. Yeah. You almost think he might be an ally. Like, he offers him something to drink, and he's very yeah. cordial, and then all of a sudden it's very much like, well, black people need to be taken care of. Right. You know, like... What a like jerk. He, you know, you have to raise them right. Um, and... Uh, Throughout that conversation, you sort of get this feeling that, um, at least the way he played the character, this guy essentially equates himself to God. Yo, for sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, like he's or he wants to be like a god. Nobody's yeah. business. It's crazy. And uh, the the immediate slap. Yeah. Like, Endicott slaps Virgil, and Virgil just right back at him, like, right without back. hesitation. It's so fantastic. I guess they, um, they only did two takes of that. Oh, and wow. They did, and they hit each other for real. Wow. Um, which it looks like it. I mean, they, don't, they didn't like wail on each other or anything. It's not like anybody looked like they got hurt over it. Right. But uh, it, it's a great moment. And it's a, it's a character I thought was really well crafted. You saw it, Gillespie. Now what are you going to do about it? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to chew this gum. Oh, I'm going to remember that. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, did you, did you like the movie? I liked it. Uh, <laughs> I did too. I didn't even doze off while watching it, which is... Not exactly a first, but it's a rarity for me watching an older movie. It's one of those movies where, it's like, in color, it's pretty, very vivid color. I would say. Well, it's, it's funny that you. That's funny that you say that. Um, this is the first film that was lit um, specifically for a black person. Huh. All of the no, no other film had ever gone to the point of making sure that they lit correctly so the colors and things would reflect. So he wow. doesn't show up too dark. He doesn't show up too, you know, like. Things aren't blown out. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's not reflective like like black people are in other films prior to this. Wow. This is the first the first, first color film where black right. people were were lit correctly. That's wild. Yeah, really cool, huh? Uh, now I'm trying to think of a movie that predates that that where it wasn't lit correctly. I'm sure we probably could. Pro- yeah. Um, Wowzers. What a time. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I thought was... Really, you know, special about the film that like I, I was Pertinent. I was surprised I I um didn't think I was going to like it for some reason yeah I thought I was going to be bored by it or um like I, I feel like um especially in this climate like yeah I, I don't know that I want to watch movies about racism because I'm just like I feel like we're living it every day right and um. But see, this is I when think, we need to be spreading the word. Well, and I think there's, I think there's like, just to be like blunt and honest, I think there's like a sense of like helplessness that you sometimes feel, um, especially as a white person. Um, yeah. You know, you know, like you know it's happening, but you don't necessarily see it all the time. Yeah. So there's not like you know, there's not a lot you can do always about it other mm. than talk, and. Man, we've been doing a lot of talk this year. 2017's been insane. And uh, so I wasn't really sure I wanted to just jump into this film, but um, I really, really liked it. Like, I think we were about 30 minutes in, and then we had to pause for something. There was a delivery at the door or something. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Those rascally UPS guys. And I remember coming back and, and, and hitting play again, or about to hit play and going, I looked at you, I was like, I really like this movie. Yeah. And you were like, I do too. Yeah. So, you know. Well, sir, I think we do need to keep talking about movies like this. Because much like View the Right Thing, it's like, here we are in 2017. 
dealing with yet again all of these issues right. that have been dealt with and discussed and sort of overcome but then also just sort of swept under the rug and then resurfaced and boiled over yet again and then sort of overcome and, and, and resolved but also sort of swept under the rug. And, and it's like, it's maddening how not just frequently the cycle is continuing, but now mm. it almost seems to just be like, it's back, it's gone for a week. It's back, right. it's gone for a week. It's good and it's getting so crazy. Well, um, you're of the cock, man. I tell you. The last thing I'll say is that this is a uh, um, considered to be the first part in a trilogy of films. Oh yeah, Not like a loose trilogy. Oh Not... yeah. What was the sequel? Well, there wasn't a real sequel. Of uh, uh, it's. Um... Wasn't there something else with Tibbs though? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Dang it! This not, is on not, the tip of not my by Nor- Norman Jewison. Right. Um, this is like the first. So there's another movie called A Soldier Story that, okay. that deals with racism. That Norman Jewison did, and it stars an unknown actor at the time, Denzel Washington. Whoa! Um, w- interesting. Would would go on and win the best actor as well. Yeah. Um, and then he did the third film in what sort of this sort of racism trilogy, The Hurricane, with Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington and Rod Steiger. Rod Steiger's in the Hurricane. Yep. Who is he? Uh, I'll tell you. Uh, he. Who is he? <laughs> oh yeah, there's. They call me Mr. Tibbs, 1970. Uh, Looks like he's in San Francisco. Rod Steiger. Is sorry, I'm just trying to pull it up here. Where is he? Right here. Oh, and then there's the organization, 1971. Yeah. Virgil Tibbs. Where did Hurricane? So there was a Tibbs trilogy. But it's not it's not uh Poitier, is it? Uh yeah. It is, really. Yeah, buddy. We should do that. We should watch the the Mr. Tibbs trilogy. He's the judge in uh the hurricane. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Is he chewing gum the whole time? Yeah, like is he, he just like... he moved from being a police chief to sheriff to mayor to Yeah. Governor. And then judge. judge. And then there's that scene where he's like, order in the court. Order in the court. I will not have Mars attacks in my courtroom. Yeah. Um, that happens. Yeah, so if you're listening to this and haven't watched In the Heat of the Night, uh, get on the ball. Yeah. It's an important movie. Check it out. Get woke. Get and, woke. Uh, I mean, get woke any day of your life, really. <laughs> Um, if you're listening to our podcast and you're not woke, I'd be pretty surprised anyway. But, uh, you know, view the right thing, you guys. Should we talk about 1971? Yeah. Steven Spielberg's Duel. Duel. Well, that was not me. Threw my mic. Sorry, folks. Threw my mic pack. Sorry about that. Well, the good news is it Apologize. has this very beautiful, very hard wooden floor to land <laughs> Yeah. Yikes! Are you still? Uh, I don't see any. I don't see any like when I'm quiet. Uh, I don't see like static or anything. Whoop! I'm the top one. Okay, yeah, the top the bottom. Okay. Um, that was a yeah was a duel. Uh, so so pretty kick a movie. Came up with this idea a, a, while, a while back. Yep. Where I was like, hey, I love Steven Spielberg, and I want to go through all of his films, and we should do that for the show. It could always be our second film. Let's do them in order. So that's what we're doing. And so we had to start with number one, Duel. 
duel. And the, I will say... The jaws of the road. I, w- I will say that... Um, I'm going to make a ruling now yeah. that we will consider Twilight Zone the movie. Whoa. We will also consider... Poltergeist? Poltergeist. Whoa. Um, Spielberg stuff. I mean, he did do a segment out of Twilight Zone the movie. He just didn't do all four segments. A question arose in my mind while we were watching Duel. Yeah. And I think the answer is yes. And I think it's yes very recently. But I can't think of what the answer is. But... Have Steven Spielberg and Stephen King ever collaborated on anything? Uh, besides TV? Yeah. What are they collaborating with on TV? Um, is, that, is that a well, okay, is that so, Castle Rock? Or? So Castle Rock is J.J. Abrams, so okay. Spielberg may have a hand in that. Um, I'm not 100% Why sure. Why do I feel like... Oh, they, Green Mile. The Green, Green Mile. Mile. My gosh, I can't believe Which I Which is actually Frank Darabont, but I think Spielberg produced it. Okay. I want to clarify really quickly. That was not Steven Spielberg making that movie. I understand. I, I think I think Spielberg produced. I you know I, I should I look feel that like up. there was something look, though, that, that King definitely wrote that Spielberg definitely directed. Uh, and I can't believe as a movie hound that one I of us doesn't know. don't just know right off the top of my head. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. I th- other than producing stuff. I'm upset with myself. I'm pretty sure he I'm upset with candidate Roy Moore. Well, I'm upset with uh with well, everybody who voted for Roy Moore? Maybe we shouldn't delve in it. Let's just say... <laughs> no, I mean I mean the Spielberg thing. I mean, we, there's just a lot to right. to discuss. Um, I feel like maybe we should kind of jump into Steven Spielberg's first. Spielberg directed Children of the Corn. <laughs> no, he did not Children at all. Not even Absolutely close. Absolutely did not direct Children of the Corn. <laughs> he was very close friends with Stanley Kubrick, who did The Shining. Oh, cool. Um, but... Uh, yeah, all I can think of is, I th- I think he produced the Green Mile or was an executive producer on it or something. That sounds correct. That... Uh, I couldn't I couldn't get oh there he comes up now. I was having a hard time getting his name to come up on IMDb. Um, let's see here. Nope. Producer BFG Jurassic World. Uh, we're, we're only considering things that he directed, by the way. Yes, that's, that's my question. Has Spielberg ever flat out directed something that mm. Stephen King wrote? And I feel like the answer is yes. I don't think so. Look, I kind of want to be wrong if I don't know it off the top of my head. Frankly, that's making me very sad. Who wrote Lovely Bones? Was that Stephen King? That was Stephen King, right? I think so, but wasn't that... Uh... He executive produced it as well. Oh, I was okay. Say. But we're looking for straight out direct. Yeah, I don't think he straight up directed anything um, that that was written by Stephen King. I don't think. I uh, think you're correct, but um, I don't know. For some reason, my brain is just like, no, that that must have happened by now, right? Um, and I'm okay with it having not happened because if it did happen and I can't remember it, I'm gonna feel like a like a fraud. Yeah, I don't know what possibly. Not Schindler's List. Did you know he produced the? Uh, he was an executive producer on Cape Fear. I did not know that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with no. Come out, come out wherever you are. All right, we gotta we gotta move on. To actually, yes, talk about this movie. We do. Are you ready to talk about this movie? Duel. Duel. Starring Dennis Weaver, 1971. He did not produce um, 
the Green Mile. I oh. apologize. I was incorrect. I was pretty sure Spielberg was involved in that, but he was not. Well, just for that, I'm going to drink some iced tea. Okay, you do that. Okay, so, uh, so Steven Spielberg is this uh, young um, filmmaker that uh, that he was, he Sid was Sheinberg. Thirteen when he directed Duel. He was not thirteen. <laughs> Sid Sheinberg took a liking to and brought him in to Universal. Yeah, and um, had him doing like TV shows and stuff, which is not what Steven Spielberg wanted to do. Um, he he didn't want to like be on sets and like have things look really fake and yeah. like he wanted he wanted to be out in the real world and shooting things, which is why when you see especially his early films, they're largely shot on location. Yeah, um, all of Duel is shot on location. Wisely shot on location. Yeah, um, I mean. We'll get to Jaws at some point, but I mean, yes, we will. That's a whole nightmare situation shooting on location. But I can um, swim. So he was super young. He didn't really know what he was doing. Yeah. Um, people didn't like that. He of would course. show up on set. This kid would show up, and they would they were supposed to take direction from him or whatever. Um, he was referred to in the inner circles as Scheinberg's folly. Oh. They were sure he was going to be a failure. Um, I'll say it. There are better insults floating around out there. Yeah. But that's, you know, it's a doozy. Uh, he did um, a movie with Joan... Or, or a, a show with Joan Crawford. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of like his first, like, hey, I'm, I have respect. Like, Joan Crawford like showed him a lot of respect and actually paid attention to the things he was saying. And he actually yeah. got to direct her. And I think that was... I think that's sort of viewed as sort of his first, like... Hey, maybe there's something else going on here with this kid. Right. Um, he did. He was doing episodes of Columbo. Oh yeah. Um, and you know his visual style is very different than what you would normally see on TV. Right. And so um, his secretary, uh, he was like, he was frustrated because he was wanting to do something else. He was wanting yeah. to do a movie or something. And his secretary saw the script or knew about the script um, for a movie of the week, and she told him about it, and he read it and like totally connected with it. And it was written by. Uh, George Matheson, I think. Sounds about right. Um, who I got the wrote cast and crew in front he, of me here? He had this experience. Um, Richard Matheson. Richard Matheson. Thank you. Uh, it was a real life experience, and then he turned it into a short story and put it in Playboy. That's where this, she had read it first. Oh, all Universal right. had purchased the film rights for it, so um, he read it. He loved it. Connected with it. Got these ideas, and he went to the the guy who was in charge and said, "I want to do this," and um, they were like, "Well." Show me your reel. Show me, show me the most recent thing you've done. Yeah. So he went and got a, a, um, an edit of Columbo that hadn't even aired yet that he oh, had wow. done and took that. And then like a few days went by and he didn't hear anything. And then like three or four days later, he, he gets a phone call and they say, we want you to do it. Cool. So he gets his first like feature thing. And it was like 74 minutes or 73 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Um, and in order to run it as a film in... Overseas, they had to extend time to it. So when you watch Duel now, it's ninety minutes. Cool. It's, a, it's an hour and a half. Um, cool. Because um, Americans view features differently uh, than overseas. So in, in the United States, a feature I think is anything over forty-six minutes. Wow. Technically. Really? Yeah. So like, if you're if you're up for an Oscar, um, a feature film uh, qualifies, I think, at forty-six minutes, and anything un- forty-five minutes and under is considered a short film. That's insane. I thought a feature had to be at least 75. I don't think so. I believe wow. it. I, unless it's changed. Um, I believe it's still 46. Yeah. Did you watch Lake Nowhere yet? I have not. I don't know Really insanely 
pretty interesting horror movie that does not seem like it's going to be when you start yeah. watching it. 50 minutes long. I was very impressed. Huh. We're talking dual. <laughs> 73 minutes yeah. made for American television. You buy a copy now, it's going to be 90 minutes long with some additional scenes shot in. That's pretty cool dual. Yeah. So he... he um goes about like figuring out how he's going to shoot this movie. He like storyboards it and stuff. He pays a guy to do this really cool thing. I'll tell you about it in a second. But um, the production manager on this, who's like sort of in charge of like okaying everything. Yeah. Um, Johnny Greenlight. Wallace Worls- Worsley. Uh, Wors- Worsley. Uh, I think it's Wallace Worsley Jr. But yeah. uh, he, who also worked with him on E.T. All right. Um he went to him and said, I want to shoot the whole thing on location. And the guy's like, no, you need to go out to the desert, to the highways, shoot the plates, come back. We'll do everything in studio, in a car, where they, you know, where they have the grips moving the car. Right. And then they project the, the plates on screens around the car. And that's when you get those really fakey looking. Right. But really common in the 70s. Sure, um, sure. And it, it's, the thing is, is they only gave him like... I don't know, like 10 days to shoot this thing because it's a TV movie, you know? So that's the most cost and time efficient way to shoot something like that in that short of a time. Go out, shoot the plates, come back and do it all on the cars. Um, And he was like, no, 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 it has to all be actually shot on location. I don't want to be in a studio for this. Um, And so Worsley said, go out and shoot the plates on the first day. Then take three days. And if after, I think he was either halfway through the third day or on the third day, if you're still in budget and you're still on time with your schedule, then you can keep shooting out on location. Wow. Otherwise, you got to come back. And so, I mean, it turns out he was, he, he did it. So what he did is he paid a, um, a, uh, a, I don't know if they were, I don't know if, what the correct term is. Not an actual map maker, okay. I don't think, but he, pay, he paid an artist to create an overhead route of the actual highway that they were going to use. Okay. And then he, he put it up all over his hotel room yeah. that he stayed in. Now, I, I picture this, if you've seen Stranger Things too. Yeah. I picture it like that. Yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> if that's actually great. what it looked like. I have a feeling it wasn't quite that expansive. My, my understanding, though, is it was actually the route in the room. Wow. Not, not to scale, obviously. But I hope it was all just on one wall, though. I don't know. Wow. I, I mean, I, don't, I just don't know. And then what he did is he wrote key points on there... Uh, Wrecks into fence here, you know, at the diner, and yeah. or truck pulls over here, s- stare down or whatever, you know. Yeah. And so, because you shoot things out of order, basically what he did is he went through this thing and he crossed stuff off as they had done it, and that's how he was able to keep track of where they needed to be, yeah. what they needed to shoot there, um, because it's really complicated when you're dealing with an actual stretch of highway. Yeah. Um, the other thing he did to and save snakes. To save time and money, that uh, is kind of really cool about this, is um, he would shoot for a day on like a stretch of highway, and right. he would have let's say the cameras on the left hand side, All right. shooting towards the rock walls on the right, you know, of the cars driving, always driving, you know, from right to left or whatever, right? Yeah. And then they would get to an end, a, a point on the highway, they would stop, turn everything around, and shoot. Going back the direction on their way back to one, so they of would. Of course. Yeah, so they would be able to to essentially sort of double 
how much time they were spending. So instead of like shooting it and then go go back to one and taking right. twenty minutes to go back, right? Um, they just shot while they were going back because it looked different on the other side. So it looked incredible. Like, yeah, really, really. It, it smart. seems like the simplest idea now that we've heard it. Yeah, right. But yeah, if we were on set, whoever would be like, okay, now take them all back to one, yeah. and you know, everybody have a smoke while you do it. Yeah, it's like the guy was just flat out born to troubleshoot his way through movies. It's incredible. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing that he talks about a lot. And one of the things that fascinates me about him is like he says he's like to this day, before like when once he gets to set and stuff, even before set, he's nervous. Like yeah. he's nervous. He has nerves every time, and he's like, "That's how I know I'm going to do the right thing is because I'm nervous about it. If I stop being nervous, then I something's wrong. Like yeah. there's I become complacent or something. Wow. Um, and I think that. Those like giving Steven Spielberg restrictions is it's always turns out really really interesting. Mm. Um, and we'll talk about that more in a couple movies, but um, I, I think Duel, what he did with what they gave him yeah. is kind of a masterpiece. It's it's intense. Um, it's kind of funny at times. A little bit funny uh, at times. You know what he's doing with misdirection, but you never really know what the answer is, which right. is which is great. Like when. Um, so basically the story, you want to, you want to talk, talk about what the story is? Well, it's, uh, you know, a guy is, uh, leaving Los Angeles to drive to some meeting he's got to go to for work way up the freeway, <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess away. towards Palmdale or something. And he's just driving for a while. Well, very early in his trip, he gets behind a tractor trailer hauling, uh-huh. uh, flammable fuel. And so, you know, the guy's not going too fast. So our hero, played by Dennis Weaver, uh, the character of David Mann, he, uh, you know, he sees that he's got an opportunity to pass, so he passes the truck. And apparently, that sends the driver of this truck, whom we never clearly see, into a murderous rage. And he decides he is going to kill David Mann, driver of this Plymouth Valiant, on the road today. And so he chases him for miles and miles and miles. So let's talk about the truck and the, and the guy. It's, it's filthy. Uh, played by Carrie Lofton, the truck right. driver. Um, he asked Spielberg what his motivation was, and Spielberg said something to the effect of, like, you're a dirty, rotten, no-good son of a bitch. <laughs> and, and Lofton, like, I guess, looked at him and said, kid, you hired the right man. <laughs> um, they it's chose... funny, his picture on IMDb is just the truck. Is it? Really? Yeah. That's funny. I'll see if he's got any more. Um, he, uh... So when Spielberg got to choose a vehicle, he chose something that was a little older... Um, and he chose something, a truck that to him had character. There's something interesting about the truck and that it is very like kind of menacing. Um, it's filthy and disgusting. It's got bugs smeared all over it. The, the windows are hard to see out of. There's oil everywhere on top of it going across everything. Um, I guess every day when the actors were in makeup, they essentially were doing makeup to the truck too. They they had people with like hoses and brushes and stuff, like reapplying oil and stuff. Just making it look filthy. Yeah. And and all it's done specifically so you don't really ever get a very good view of Carrie Lofton. Right. Um, But the reason he chose the specific design of the truck was a lot of the trucks were sort of like... um, they just look like cabs, like what yeah. you what you normally kind of think of when you think of like trucks in that age. Um, he chose this truck because it had a snout, 
Yeah. It had big windows for eyes and it had mirrors for ears. He we wanted and the grill was sort of a mouth. So he wanted because you were never really going to see and it was written in the script that way and in the short story that you never really understood what this guy looked like. Yeah. Um so he knew from the beginning you were never going to see the guy, the driver. Um so that manifestation is in the sort of the face of the vehicle itself, which is kind of kind of cool, right? Real cool. Um real cool. You want to so the, he gets chased. I was just picturing the scary truck. <laughs> yeah. So Who he wins get... in a fight? Dual truck or maximum overdrive truck? Oh, boy. Well, maximum overdrive truck is sentient. Oh, no. Um, but, I mean, dual truck is being driven by a sentient human being. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So let's talk about the human being in the truck. Yeah. So uh, what, what else does the movie tell us? visually that they never tell us through story through dialogue or anything he's a white guy he wears cowboy boots but 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 what what is it that about why does he want to kill this guy or maybe not why is maybe not the right question um, right cuz that's definitely not clearly answered i feel like it's always just assumed that like you know he's just having a real terrible day and here comes so, some jerk passing him on the road, and he just decides it's that jerk's bad day. So this truck driver is a serial killer. Oh. And you know this because he has the different license plates attached to the front of his, his truck. Oh. Those are the vehicles that he's killed in other states. Oh. I never put that together. Right. I was always wondering, why the heck would he have that many different license plates? Exactly. I thought it was some sort of old-time trucker law that nope. you had to have different plates. Those were trophies. Wow. So, yeah. Fun Good call. Little, fun little fact for you. Yeah. Um, what a creep. So, uh, so man, just driving, 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 uh, trying to get away, ends up crashing, getting some whiplash, yeah. ends up in that diner. That's my, probably my favorite scene is inside the diner. Yeah. That's that misdirection that we're kind of talking about. Like, we know what he's, what Spielberg's doing, but we don't, we don't have an answer for it. Right. Um, so he sees, he goes to the bathroom and comes out of the bathroom and sees that the truck is outside the, the cafe. Uh-oh. The cafe, I think is how Chuck's you, cafe is how Chuck's you pronounce cafe. it. Uh, he orders a cheese sandwich. I made a note of this. Um, <laughs> I, I literally wrote it down uh, in my notes. Yeah. Uh, he orders a cheese sandwich, a Swiss cheese on rye. On rye. When, she, when the waitress brings it, he asks for ketchup for his sandwich. Well, he doesn't even. He, she says anything else, and he says, like, no, that would oh, be fine. Yeah. And then she walks away, and he goes, ketchup. I should ask for ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> Which is He terrible. wanted ketchup for his Swiss for his cheese on rye. Swiss on rye sandwich. It, it bothers me. It, it feels, if there was a mistake in this movie, <laughs> this feels like the, it was the mistake of the film. Um, there, there, oh, so speaking of mistakes, there's a couple things that I didn't show you uh, with the one that's actually in the movie still. One, they cropped out. So there's multiple cuts of this film yeah um you know it was designed it was it was made for four by three tvs um so there's tv cropping that was going to happen but they don't shoot it on a four by three film stock they shoot it on 16 by nine or um the one eight by three i think i think what they did is they shot it 16 by nine with the idea that it was going to get cropped out yeah um there is a shot in the in the 
regular 16x9 version All right. where you can see Steven Spielberg in the back seat of the car. Oh, really? He did um, some of his own camera work. Cool. Um, and he did his directing from the backseat of the car. Wow. He also, um, there's, when he gets, when a man goes to the phone booth and shuts the glass door, yeah. you can actually see Steven Spielberg reading the script and following along out in the reflection of the phone booth. Wow. Um, That's so hilarious. The two unintentional cameos. Um, speaking of the phone booth. Yeah. He did his own stunt there. Dennis Weaver did, Dennis huh? Weaver, yeah. That's scary. So they did. It's terrifying. There's a scene where he's in the phone booth and, and the truck starts coming and we as the audience see the truck barreling down on him and then he sees it the last second jumps out and, and smashes it. They did this. They did the thing for real. Oh my God. And um, what they did is they flagged off sections of, like off camera, they put flags out. Mm-hmm. And the driver of the truck, uh, it was assumed Carrie Lofton, um, when he got to the last flag, yeah. if Weaver was still in the phone booth, his, his job was to turn the truck. Okay, that's good to know. Um, so, holy moly! Yeah, that's so, a terrifying stunt. Yeah, it really is. But I guess I mean, uh, it's one oh. that Dennis Weaver was like really like happy that he had done. Like he did his own driving stuff. There's a scene where um, the car goes up an embankment a little bit, and it yeah. ends up. You can see the horizon like tilt. Yeah, and uh, so like, he did that himself. Wow. Um, I don't know. Kind of cool. Yeah, man, it's a great movie. It's Duel, baby. Yeah, the um, Weaver is the was really Spielberg's first choice. Like they, there was a bunch of names talked about. Oh yeah. Um, and they were started started to rattle off what they, who they could get, and this name came up, and he had seen him in Touch of Evil, oh. and he's like a real character in that. He's like real crazy, yeah. and he was like, "That's what I need by the end of my film." And so, like that's what he's trying to push him to get to that that character is kind of craze by the end of the film, which is. Just cool. Um, Touch of evil is that? Is that uh, 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 Orson Welles? Yeah, I believe wow. so. Wow, and Dean Stockwell, right? Uh, maybe. A touch of evil. Uh, or a Don't couple more things. I'm trying to think about. Uh, oh, another moment I really love is near the end of the film. Um, he's driving his car and he sees the cop on the side of the road. Yeah. So he swerves to go and talk to get help from the cop, and when he gets there, it's a, a pest control. Yeah. With like a like a ladybug yeah. on the top that makes it look like the red thing. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's one of my favorite Mister X. But what's really great about that is did you notice the name of the? Uh... Oh man, I remember reading it, and it was Greb Leaps. It was what? Greb Leaps Pest Control. Greb Leaps. Yep, Greb Leaps Pest Control. But it was two words, wasn't it? Greb Leaps, like as if the guy's name was Greb Leap or something. like Maybe that? it might have been. Because I, I feel like it was two. I thought it was one. I, I Greb Leaps. What's Greb Leaps? Spielberg backwards. Oh my God. I'm an idiot. <laughs> That's great. So that's another like, little, little thing I thought was kind of kind of clever. Um, there's a whole thing. Uh, there's like a controversy about the Incredible Hulk with this as well. What? Um, so there's a, an episode of the Incredible Hulk where they um, used a bunch of footage from Duel oh, as stock footage. That's hilarious. And apparently people called into the TV station and complained about it. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's funny as hell. Another like kind of known story is um, there was a young budding director who was at a party one night when Duel was on. Yeah. And he went upstairs to watch it, like a, a minute of it because he heard about this young kid, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And... Uh, he ended up sitting down and watching the whole thing. Those two ended up becoming very, very close friends. What one might say best friends. Yeah. That man was George Lucas. George? George Lucas. 
George Star Wars Lucas. George? THX1138 Lucas. I was trying to think of his most underappreciated movie. Underappreciated? Yeah. Phantom Menace. George Phantom Menace Lucas. I, uh... 16 days. The movie was shot in 16 days. I'm going to see it in an hour and 45 minutes. Cool. Right, let's not... Let's, let's stay on track because there's a lot... There's a lot about Duel that we can... Like... I'm getting very excited. This is one of these things that, like... I, I feel like we have a movie where, where there's a lot of, like, really interesting kind of yes. factoids about it. Um, so I kind of wanted to, uh... I just can't help it. I'm getting excited. Um... About oh, it. I do want to talk about something that is modern with license plates that uh, is a misconception. So there's an idea that you would have multiple license plates to pay so you, to deal with state taxes, oh. which is why a lot of, uh, but that's not the reason those plates are on that. Okay. From what I from what I understand is that he's killed people in other states and those are, those are trophies. Scary. And maybe he uses those trophies to not pay the state taxes or whatever. Yeah. But, but that's my my. You think he has to pay to re-register them every time or? Uh, I'm sorry. You got to re-register your vehicle every year. Yeah. Uh, There is a board game that Parker Brothers made for this. If you ever find it, please feel free to get it for me. Duel the board game. Duel the board game. Did not sell well. I can imagine. Oh, the thing I pointed out to you at the end of the film that we rewound it and watched. Yes. Do you want to to talk about that? The noise? Yeah. The noid from Domino's Pizza? No. Um, Well, you pointed out about how when when the truck... If you haven't seen Duel, why are you listening? You should have seen it. Here comes a spoiler. Uh, when the truck is about to go over the big cliff, mm-hmm. and it's super duper slow motion, and we're hearing all sorts of crashing, crunching, skidding, you know, through the sand, screeching, and whatnot noises. And you said we hear the noise of a dinosaur. A dinosaur. So he threw in it. He wanted the sound of uh, like a, a dinosaur roar. Like yeah. the idea that this was more than just a machine. That this right. was something a like a beast. It was... Truckosaurus. Truckosaurus. You've seen Truckosaurus, right? Yeah, like from The Simpsons. Well, it's a real thing. No, I saw, I've seen it in person. <laughs> I, I saw it shoot fire at a oh. monster truck show one time. I've never seen it in person. I'm sorry. Um... I'm sorry, Drakosaurus. Now there's there's another story about, um, and I'm not gonna like get too heavy into it because I don't know it very well. Right. Um, that the studio didn't want to show. I think they didn't want to show the truck. They didn't want to destroy a truck. Oh, see, I remember there being something about they were insisting that he goes back and films the truck exploding. Maybe that's what it was. But he didn't, he he didn't like, want to do no, that. He wanted to, that. He wanted to show it bleeding. He wanted to yeah. show the truck like dying, right. essentially. It's like the fan and the blood and the, the gas and the oil and stuff. Tire. It may have been an exploding thing. There's, there is some controversy around that. There was, a, I think, another ending. Yeah, I think well. it was like they were like, why doesn't the truck explode? What are you doing? The people want an explosion. He was yeah. like, no, you're not, you don't get it, you guys. Um, oh, I did, I did also make a note that um, he, uh, when he sort of gives the truck the slip and parks on the side of a train tracks and yeah. takes a nap, he, he goes to sleep outside essentially a, a car graveyard. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just a bunch of just old, dead, rusting cars, which I thought was kind of nice haunting touch. and, uh, right. yeah, like, kind of telling. Be careful, David Mann. You might, uh, you might be in one of those cars. Yeah. Waiting to happen. Good stuff. Scary. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else really interesting about that car. He drives a Valiant. 
Plymouth Valiant. Plymouth we Valiant. About that a little Bright bit. red Plymouth Valiant. Oh, yeah. I was trying to find out if the red car that Sidney Poitier drives in, in the heat of the night was a Plymouth Fury like Christine. Because it looks a whole lot like it, but mm. I couldn't get a good look at any of the uh, insignia. But what if we just watched two movies featuring bright red Plymouths? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. You know, yeah. Christmas time, red's a holiday color. So here we are. Um, you know what else is pretty cool about Duel? Yeah, uh, what's that? It's a good, exciting, scary movie. Mm-hmm. But when does it take place? 100% in broad daylight. Yeah. Pretty hard to make a super scary movie that's 100% yeah, he in used, broad daylight. He used suspense and just that speed. He used speed to his ability. Um, they, they shot... Um, they, did, they did very little um, high speed where yeah. they um, had to ramp up this, like fast speed up the, the frame. Apparently, um, there was a problem with the cameras and the camera started slowing down. And it um, it went from 24 frames per second down, and they're probably shooting 16 millimeter film, is my guess, um, down to 12 frames per second. So that's stuff they ended up having to speed up, but oh. um, uh, or I guess that stuff would be sped up. Yeah. Uh, um, a lot of the other stuff was done at slower speeds, but they what he would do is he would use a, co- he, a couple of things. They used a special kind of picture, um, not picture car. A uh, like a follow vehicle yeah. essentially um, that they would have their um, camera mounted on, and it was a special kind of car that um, it was like custom made that the uh, DP had made himself, I believe. Wow! Um, where the camera was lower to the ground than it normally is in a, in a follow car. Oh wow! And so that allowed him to kind of get down lower and get better angles of the actor. Right. But also you'd see more of the like you see more of. Like the tires and stuff. Yeah. Um, the other thing they did is um, they shot in sort of canyon esque areas where yeah. the rock walls were very close to the cars, to the road. So Boy, when you're going they? 35, 40 miles an hour, um, I mean, it's fast, but it's not that fast. Right. Um, they're supposed to be going 55, 60 to 80 at times, right? 100 at one point. Yes. Um, so shooting those rock walls. At 40 miles an hour, they yeah. look like they're going a lot faster than they are because they're so close to the car. That's a really good move. Um, they used uh, like longer lenses that changes how things look speed-wise yeah. on film as well. So by using a longer lens, they were able to kind of like capitalize on some things that way. Um, Pretty radical. Yeah, I mean, he he really approached this this with a lot of thought. I mean, he's a camera guy. He's a, that was one of the things that people knew about him as a kid. It was like, yeah. oh, here's the lens guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like this is this is the guy with the lens. He didn't really have experience directing actors. Yeah, you know that came that came later, um, but he understood what he wanted things to look like, and he understood how to, how to make that happen. Um, and because of that, I mean. He's Steven Spielberg. Because of that, he's Steven Spielberg. Exactly. I mean, how many how many household name directors are there, really? You know, yeah. maybe six. Yeah, you're right. It was the explosion thing. I just looked it up, by the way. It was that they wanted the, oh, the, yes. the car to explode, the, the truck to explode. Yeah. Um, Rad movie, man. I'm coming up on go time. Oh yeah, Steve's got places to be, um, folks. We get it. So, uh, you want to? Announce. I don't have a bucket for Joey's thing, but I do know what movie we're we're gonna watch, and I told it to you. So if you want to announce the movie that Joey and I are going to watch uh, for the next episode of View the Right Thing, on the next episode of View the Right Thing, Wes 
and Joey watch Black Dynamite. Dynamite. Cool. Dynamite. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I am too. I, I, it's I think it's a really, really fun film. Uh, Joey's never seen it. Um, I'm told that she has some stories about it, I, even though okay. she's never seen it. So I'm curious to find out what that's about. All um, right. So I don't get to draw from the bucket for our next movie. No, I'm That's going to happen in the next episode. Yeah, Joey and I will draw Joey the next movie for you and I. will draw for us. Well, and I mean, then we've already got one predetermined. We know that Sugarland Express is the next one for Steve and I, for Spielberg. The Sugarland Express, starring... Goldie Hawn. The beautiful Goldie Hawn. Kurt Russell's lady. <laughs> yep. I love you, Goldie Hawn. Um... I said, I love you. Oh, I mean, she's not here. I'm not really yelling at her. Okay. William Atherton's in it. Bill Atherton, huh? Yeah, if you like, uh, if you like guys who play jerks, usually. Yeah. Folks, next time you hear from me, I will have seen Star Wars The Last Jedi. Yeah, but probably not till after the new year. Probably not, which means all of you will probably have seen Star Wars The Last Jedi. So I'll keep my report brief. I gotta hit the road, man. All right, man. Well, thank you for uh, going on this journey with me. Thank you for having me, and uh, I'll try not to PO any uh, monster trucks on the way home. That sounds like a good good plan. All right. Until next time, everyone. Bon cinema. <laughs>